afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are today. I'm Ali Amagasu, and you're listening to the latest episode of Cloud Unfiltered. Thank you to everybody who uh, enjoyed these many, many episodes I had from KubeCon. I know it was a lot. We just finished running them here at the end of January. <laughs> KubeCon was back in 2019. It was a really fruitful event, and we met a lot of great people. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Now we're getting back to a regular routine. I'm back with my regular co-host. Hey, Pete Johnson, how are you? Hey, Ali, it's going well. Excellent. How are my Chihuahua friends? They're doing okay. I I am not in the underground nerd layer today. I am out on the couch in my living room because my family is not here. So I, I came up here to sort of comfort them, and you know they they may cause trouble. No promises. You're loud out of the basement when your family's not home. I love that. Yes, I am. <laughs> So I'm excited to talk to you about Barcelona and what you saw and heard there. But before we do, let's introduce our guest today. He's a special guest because I used to report to him. I still kind of do. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and let him introduce himself. Sir, welcome to our show. What is your name and what do you do for Cisco? Hello, Ali. Uh, this is Fabio Gori. You should know me pretty well. Uh, I actually lead the product marketing for cloud solutions at Cisco. Yeah. And so Fabio is a natural, a natural guest for this show. We haven't had him on before because he's a busy, busy guy, uh, but he has probably a better grasp of the Cisco Cloud portfolio than, than most anybody. And um, I wanted to hear from you guys. First off, I know there were a lot of meaningful, meaningful announcements at Cisco Live Barcelona. You were both there. So I'd love to hear both your perspectives on it, but particularly you, Fabio. What was, what was the most interesting stuff going on there in regards to cloud and the Cisco Cloud portfolio? I think, uh, well, thank you for the question. I think we had a really exciting Cisco Live uh, Barcelona, was the, of course, which is the hub uh, for our you know, EMEAR operations. It was exciting because I think we landed a, a very, very compelling uh, story for how we tackle what we call the application revolution. Uh, applications, of course, are exploding, uh, and you know, I'd, I'd love to talk about it in a moment. But what we really announced is three uh, things. Uh, the first one is uh, we announced new app dynamics uh, capabilities, namely the uh, experience journey map, uh, which actually uh, allows you to follow your users while they're going through the various screenshots of their application, whether mobile or, or face. Um, so that was one, one thing. The second one was the integration of our uh, InterSight Workload Optimization Manager, still with AppDynamics, which allow you to figure out immediately whether a problem uh, uh, can be led to like an application issue or rather to a, an infrastructure issue. And this is across, of course, uh, hybrid cloud or multi-cloud uh, environments. And the third is the introduction of a uh, new platform, which we call the Hyperflex uh, AP platform, which is actually very much centered around the need of having a production-grade container environment on-prem, still working with uh, especially the leading cloud providers out there. So do these announcements represent a change in strategy for Cisco, or is this just an evolution of products we had in place before? No, it's not a change in strategy. It's actually a tangible proof of the execution of the strategy that we've been talking about for a few years right now, whereby Cisco really stands for helping our customers embracing this hybrid and multi-cloud world, which is actually you know, two different connotations, if you want. Uh, multi-cloud is the need of harnessing innovation, wherever it comes from. And hybrid is actually a technology requirement to really integrate more and more with these cloud environments, particularly thinking about how you can expand your governance, uh, security, networking policies 
to embrace the public cloud and actually use all the services that you need out of these environments. So that's been our strategy for, for a long time now. And uh, these announcements uh, really plug into that kind of logic, uh, particularly when it comes to what we call the application and workflow management sort of layer, uh, which is a key layer that makes uh, pretty much the two environments working as much as possible as one. Okay, so you mentioned earlier the application revolution. And I've heard you say the evolution of applications before and the importance of that. Application revolution sounds like an even stronger statement. If I'm a, if I'm a listener right now, what does that mean for me? Is that something that's already hitting me and I don't even know and I need to be dealing with? Or, or what do you mean by that application? What are the implications of an application revolution? Well, it is, it is really a revolution because if you think about it, of course, applications have been around for a long, long time. And none of us is surprised to see a lot of these apps uh, popping up on our devices, right? Whether phones or wearables or whatever you want. However, when you think about really numerically, what does this mean? And when it comes to IT organizations, so the problem of dealing with it, I'm just going to give you a few numbers that tell you whether this is not a revolution. Actually, it would be great to hear from you and Pete whether you believe these numbers justify the word revolution or not. But in two years, we're going to see 50% more applications than the one that we have right now. Think about a large enterprise that has five to 7,000 business apps. That means introducing another 2,500 to 3,000 applications. And actually, some customers already told me that's maybe even conservative. Just figure that out. These are all IDC numbers. Uh, it's a study that we actually co-sponsor with, uh, with IDC. Of the existing one, the five, 7,000 that I was telling you about on a per company basis, around 50% is actually uh, going through a change. So you may re-platform, refactor them, or maybe just you know, retire them or replace them with, say, a software as a service application. And that's another you know, thousands of apps that go through all of this. This is already enough to send you know, shivers through your spine, but then think about the fact that because of the microservices uh, uh, and containers impact, uh, especially that, but also in general, more and more tight uh, dependencies between applications, the average number of dependency for a single application in this new world is actually 20. So imagine this very complex web of apps that depend on each other. They are uh, exploding in terms of the number and they become much more dependent uh, one each other. And then guess what? In two years, 58% of all the workloads is going to be outside of the data center, either in the public cloud or at the edge. So imagine this enormous complexity that is now impacting uh, IT organizations. You have to radically change your technology approach, your uh, organizational approach to actually deal with it. So what do you think, guys? Is this a revolution or, or am I exaggerating? Well, yeah, I think... You don't have to look any further than headlines of the day that we're recording this. We're recording this on Tuesday, February 4th, which is the day after the disaster that was the Iowa caucuses, right? Like that's, <laughs> using, that's using an application in a way that most would have thought unlikely, you know, as recently as, you know, a year ago, really. And given how poorly that performed, it really can show you the difference between well-executed and operated application and one that is not, and the implications of, of one that is not. I mean, really, it's, you know, we, we used to, you know, back 25 years ago when I first started getting paid to write code, it was, 
you would estimate it would be on the order of 20% of the total cost of, of an application would be the initial development cost and the other 80 would be operating it and maintaining it over time. And when you talk about those, you know, 2,500 new applications for an enterprise level company, what that means is, you know, those 25 applications are going to all have a life cycle and need to be managed and be patched and, and all that stuff. It's, you know, the, the sexy part of it is rolling it out the first time. The realistic part of it is handling it after that point. And, you know, Peter, you said about the cost of doing it wrong. Uh, let me help you with that. There are some interesting stats, like 20% of all uh, uh, the downtime, uh, uh, you know, kind of incidents cost more than half a million dollars. And, oh, by the way, there is a really interesting one, which, uh, if you want, it's interesting for all of us as consumers of these applications. Not just the fact that you are readily jumping the boat if you don't like an app. Uh, and so, of course, uh, you're impacting the business of that supplier, right, of service. But there is an incredible stat out of our application AppDynamics team that says that 63% of us become like negative marketer to actually tell our friends and colleagues not to use that kind of application. So imagine the kind of impact that you have if you're the experience that you're delivering or you're trying to deliver through that application doesn't actually meet your intention. It's pretty catastrophic for a business. Well, and I think, you know, m most people when they talk app dynamics tend to talk about the monitoring part of it. But to me, the magic of app dynamics is in the time to resolution when something goes wrong because something always goes wrong, right? And because the agents are inserting that transaction ID and allow you to follow the flow of a user through a set of different services as part of the same transaction and then draw it for you on a map and show you not only your application architecture, which is a minor miracle in and of itself, but show you where things are breaking down, in some cases down to the line of code that's causing the, the fault. And just, it, it makes it so much easier to operate and fix problems with applications longer term. It's, it's despite the fact that Ali and I both came from acquisitions, it's by far my favorite acquisition from C for Cisco over the last five years or so. So Peter, are you, are you guys saying then that, you know, we're having this explosion of applications? Are you saying, you know, I was going to ask if I'm a listener right now going, yeah, I've, I've, I know the digital <laughs> transformation is important. My little business, whatever it is, we're moving toward embracing more cutting edge apps. And we are we are trying to digitize processes were pre previously analog and things do go wrong. How am I supposed to manage these? Is AppDynamics the answer? Is it part of a larger answer? It's part of a larger answer. And actually, you know, going back to when you asked me about is this changing our strategy? No. When you beyond, you know, the high level statements about hybrid and multi-cloud, let's uh, let's take it one uh, step deeper. If you think about it, you know, a lot of this ball game really boils down for IT organizations to uh, glue together two completely different environments. The first one is the things that you typically own and control uh, on-prem. They could be in a location facility, in your data center, in your campus, your branch, at the edge. It does not matter. That's stuff that you own and control. But then there are things in the cloud and services that you fundamentally use and don't control as well as you control the things that you want. So what you really hear these enterprises, and I speak to them every day here in our EBC center in San Jose, everybody seems to be looking at this problem in the same way is I need to fundamentally manage my huge and quote unquote exploding portfolio of application 
on top of these two different kind of environments, I need to make sure that this complex set of data centers and different clouds will work as much as possible as one. How do you do that? Well, you need three things. First is you need a consistent mean of networking across these different environments. Sufficient to see how different is networking between, say, availability zones or AWS, and what you have to deal with when you go to an Azure hub is a different kind of networking uh, infrastructure and philosophy, right? And, and Google goes uh, along pretty much the same way. So what you have to do uh, more and more, and what we're hearing our customers uh, asking us to do is, I want to extend my networking fabric to this environment, regardless of how they're actually internally structured, right? Can you actually help me, Cisco, abstracting this networking layer and help me working with it? And that's the networking layer. Second, you have to do the same thing in terms of securing this extended hybrid and multi-cloud kind of environment. Uh, of course, perimeter of security will continue to be a table stake, but more and more people are looking at things like behavioral analytics, or they're looking at things like identity management. The security perimeter becomes so huge and, and, and difficult to control that really, you know, it boils down to understanding who you are, right? Before knowing whether you are inside or outside the gates or the firewall, so to speak, I got to know who you are. So identity management becomes really important. And third, it's all about, again, having a consistent mean of managing applications and workloads. Otherwise, what you end up doing is having different tools in different environments and different KPIs. Imagine reporting an application performance parameter to your business in a different way depending on where the application is hosted. The business will never understand that, right? I want one number. I want one way of measuring the KPI. Is this actually enough to support the business, yes or no? So more and more, people are really looking at us to help them gluing these different environments together. So one step, well, you said there were three things. One was the network. Network, security, and application and workload management is the third one. And the launch that we did in Barcelona is around this last uh, pillar, uh, pretty much. You know, it's a great improvement about how do you manage uh, applications and, and workloads in this hybrid and multi-cloud environment. Pete, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with what, what Fabio is saying. And like I said, I have a lot of love for AppD and the kinds of things they do to help you manage those applications regardless of where they are. And, and the nice thing about, about AppD is regardless of where your components are running, whether they're in a public cloud or, or in the private cloud, the agents run exactly the same way and report that stuff back to you. It, AppD was, was featured in my talk um, at Cisco Live Barcelona as well. It was called The, the Past, Present, and Future of Cloud. And one of the things that I talked about in the present part of it was uh, there was a there was a U.S. bank that had a major breach last summer that I used as the case study, and they were all in on public cloud, no on-prem components whatsoever. But had they had AppD in place and StealthWatch Cloud, which very much operates in the same way, where they're collecting uh, NetFlow data regardless of whether it's public cloud generated or on-prem generated. Tools like that, that I think most people don't think of Cisco in being able to help with that application layer kind of security or management. If you have those kinds of tools in place, even if you're all in on public cloud, it can help you with that management aspect. And, and, and even more so because so few tools are able to manage it. If you've got some apps that are in one place and some that are in the other, so you have a, have a common dashboard across them. Or if in this scenario that uh, Fabio is talking about, maybe you've got a single application and some components are public cloud and some components are on-prem, you, you still have to have some kind of key performance indicator metric that you can have that's consistent across the two of them. 
So those two those two products were pretty prominent in my talk for those reasons that you, you still need to do that regardless of where the apps are running. That makes sense. So before we move on to um, some different questions, you, we, we talked about the importance of uh, sorting out your network, making sure it works across all the different cloud environments. We talked about security and we talked about needing to manage these applications. And we talked about specific products, mostly AppD. Are there other products? We usually try to keep this show from being a product pitch, uh, Fabio. Mm. But in this particular case, I feel like we are being a little bit prescriptive and trying to help folks sort through this. Are there other Cisco products they ought to be looking at as they're going through this process that are big players in this particular base? Absolutely. I mean, there, there are a number. And, and again, products do not exist because of products, but because they deliver a critical function in this, uh, in this kind of environments, right? So let, let me just mention a few of the ones that I think are particularly relevant. Um, without going into too many details, so let's start from the bottom. Think about networking. Now, it is clear to everybody that while you have your routers on-prem, you own them, right? And they typically come in a you know, box form factor. You connect them to the network. You cannot drop a box in AWS or Google. So you need software. Hence, software-defined networking becomes really, really critical to connect your branches and your data centers to the cloud or to the clouds that you intend to use. So to this extent, I want to call out Cisco SD-WAN, of course, which is very critical to build you know, an optimized fabric to optimize the connectivity of your, uh, of your infrastructure to the cloud. And also ACI Anywhere, our application-centric infrastructure, which if you want is really Cisco SDN for the data center, uh, which in its form of ACI Anywhere allows you to extend your policy model to the cloud so that, uh, okay, of, of course, you can uh, enforce your network segmentation. So Pitwar, let's make an example. Pete was talking about applications that are spread across, you know, on-prem and the cloud. Say your database, your front-end, your application load balancer are actually in the cloud. So database on-prem, everything else is in the cloud. You want to make sure that, for instance, the front-end is not speaking directly to the database. This is like basic hygiene to ensure that if you attack, for instance, in the cloud, they're not going to sneak or spoof into the infrastructure that you have on-prem where you have all your data. So those are two of the key products. I would say security-wise, I mentioned the relevance of identity. Multi-factor authentication, I think, is just in front of our eyes, right? Just tell me one of the websites that now doesn't tell you or ask you to authenticate through your mobile phone or through a notification on your phone or whatever. So multi-factor authentication becomes really, really critical. And also things like behavioral analytics, uh, which we deliver through uh, StealthWatch and StealthWatch Cloud, are important because you know what you want to do is you want to crunch analytical data that come from both you know the on-prem environment and the cloud kind of drawing a baselining of how your infrastructure works and then when you see deviation from this baselining generating alarms because of course uh, you know when it goes different than normally goes that may be a problem so these are really some of the critical uh, components and then of course in barcelona we announce uh, quite a bit of developments for intersight which is if you want are you know compute infrastructure management as a service, so to speak, because it it comes in a SaaS uh, version, which really helps you uh, managing this compute infrastructure regardless of where it is. Right? Typically, this becomes extremely distributed, and it goes all the way to the to the edge of the network. And finally, again on prem. And sorry if I'm taking long, but you know once you ask me something, I'm gonna go exhaustive on that. Is also. Um, our hyper-convergent uh, infrastructure, Hyperflex, which really helps you kind of, you know, optimizing 
uh, your need for you know compute uh, networking and storage in a in a very flexible form factor that can extend from the designer all the way to the edge. Because as we said before, a lot of workloads are heading to the edge of the network. And so, you know, with intersite managing this very highly distributed hyperflexes, you have a mean to really reduce your operational burden from a single point of, uh, if you want, control in your operational framework. No, I'm, I'm glad you went into that level of detail because, frankly, I asked you for the, the solution to a challenge that presumably some of our listeners are dealing with, which is this application revolution. How do we deal with it? We gave them a high-level framework, network, security, app management. And what I heard from you was at the bottom of the stack, SD-WAN and ACI anywhere. As you moved up, maybe Duo uh, and StealthWatch, and then Intersight, AppD, HyperFlex, AP yeah. um, are a few things that they should be top of mind as they're talking to account managers, Things, actual things they can ask about that can help them solve these problems. Absolutely. Yeah, and just, I mean, my favorite of those, like I mentioned before, it was highlighted in my talk was the StealthWatch cloud. We've had Patrick Crowley on the show before. And and he talked about this in in my context. It was right there. They're taking NetFlow data and instead of using it reactively, they put it through an AI ML model to try to, as Fabio was saying, establish a baseline of what normal means for you. And in my bank example, normal did not include a login from a Boston IP address. And had this bank had something like StealthWatch Cloud in place. Instead of discovering their breach because the hacker posted some of the data on GitHub, they would have instead received a, a an alert when a login was detected from an unusual IP address. So it's things like that, that when you've got lots of applications and you've got lots of data that people would deem valuable if they could steal it, when, when you're operating at that level, these kinds of tools help you manage that stuff at scale. And actually, Pete, what you, what you say also kind of uh, leads into, if you want, when you listen to our engineering leader, Dave Geckler, when he talks about multi-domain, think about all this data, you know, more and more getting integrated across the board, and you can do machine learning and uh, AI kind of algorithms on top. That really helps you, you know, taking better decisions, because in the end, you, you are getting this enormous amount of information from all these different places or domain, as you say, right? It could be edges, it could be data centers, it could be cloud. But in the end, you need to make sense of all of that and take decisions. Is the application performing correctly? Am I secure at this point? Is there an attack? So all that really drives, if you want, the, the heart of the strategy of, of our company, of Cisco, because think about App Dynamics. You know, there are, many, there are other tools like App Dynamics in the marketplace. But now, when you think about the integration that we, we just announced, it's not just about the application performance, but it's the ability of understanding whether uh, if you have a problem, that depends on the application itself or is the infrastructure underneath. So we had already integrated things like ACI under, under AppDynamics. Now we've integrated InterSight. And so you have uh, really an incredible amount of information to quickly solve the problem. And it boils down really to implement for everybody out there, implementing a different IT operations sort of model if you want to be faster and faster. And you know what, Ali, getting at, going after all those thousands of apps that you know these teams are going to be in charge to deliver. Otherwise, you can't survive this kind of tsunami. Hey, Pete, I'm glad you mentioned StealthWatch. I'm going to plug episode 49 is when we had Patrick Crowley on. And that was really cool. I mean, that is just, you could talk about that app for hours. It does really, StealthWatch Cloud does really neat yeah. stuff. So 
uh, if that if that got anyone's interest, check out episode 49, Patrick Crowley. It's one of our most popular ones. So gentlemen, we've gone into some of the, the steps folks should think about and some of the actual products they could um, ask about if they're interested in dealing with this app revolution. Let's talk a little bit more about the softer side of it. What happens to your organization when you try to to deal with this, when to to em- embrace this new way of thinking about and dealing about uh, dealing with apps? Is there a cultural transformation at all? Is, should anyone expect a change or no? Oh man, that's one of my probably my favorite topic because when you think of cloud, my very humble opinion is that probably 20-30% is a technology issue and 70-80% is a human kind of challenge, right? Because yeah. you have to change. Uh, what you've been doing for a very long time. And again, the reason is the reason for changing is exactly you know what we discussed at the beginning of this conversation. And so I'll give you my again very personal take on this one because cloud segmenting cloud markets, being a marketeer, is one of the most fascinating and challenging exercises ever. It's not about how big you are or how small you are uh, most of the time, so which industry you're coming from. Sure, there are some very peculiar considerations for each of those. But in the end, the only way to think about how ready you're for cloud is a maturity kind of consideration. It's how mature, which is completely orthogonal to you know, some of the size discussion that we had or, or verticals or whatever. And so what really boils down to is three classes of, of companies, right? Uh, the first one is uh, people that fundamentally either don't have a cloud strategy or they have many cloud strategies, which is like having no cloud strategy, actually. And those are the ones that are you know, already in trouble or about to be in trouble. Those are the ones that you know, sometimes we see dynamics uh, along the lines of you know, the board or the CEO uh, kind of starting challenging the IT organizations and coming in. Uh, a small, medium, or large consultant to kind of help out. Uh, that's to be extremely transparent, right, with the type of challenges that they have. I would say there's another uh, class of, um, of of customers and companies that figure out that they need one cloud strategy across the organization, and they're in the process of implementing it, right? And actually, to talk about it, let me uh, let me talk about the, the the last class, which is people that really have a cloud strategy that ex- they're executing upon it, right? Whatever the whatever that is. And this uh, this last class is really interesting because when you speak to these uh, kind of companies, you see that there are some common traits. Uh, pretty much everybody's executing along the lines of building a cloud center of excellence, and um, there's a lot in. Uh, out there in, in the literature that tells you, you know, what a cloud center of excellence here. I'll, I'll try to avoid being academic, but fundamentally, it boils down to splitting governance and control. What you have to do is you have to have smart cloud architects that work uh, across the entire corporation. Of course, they orchestrate, uh, you know, interest groups and they orchestrate uh, the interlock with the business, with the technology, with procurement, with legal and everybody, right? I don't want to get make it too complicated. But in the end, these guys are in charge and empowered by the organization to issue a, an overall governance model uh, for the company. This is extremely important because if you have that, then you can fundamentally get the single functions to enforce it, uh, to really, uh, again, exercise control on that. But this boils down to having things like, for instance, uh, a brokerage function in the company, right, which is typically a big interest by the procurement department. Right? Instead of having every single line of business just striking their own contracts with pick up your favorite cloud provider, right? Uh, people trying to more and more demand aggregate. 
uh, and that's actually procurement aspect. Uh, the other aspect of, uh, of a very healthy cloud center of excellence is called sharing, uh, which is easy to say in an era of GitHub and things like this. But when you look at how organizations work, very often you find silo. And people typically work at, you know, software or software components, but maybe, you know, their colleagues a couple of buildings away have already developed. Uh, and all of this, of course, is a big impediment to be effective in this in this cloud world. So this is really interesting. And I got to tell you, I don't think that this class of customer is probably beyond the 10, 15 percent right now to be optimistic. So, yeah, exactly. There's still a long way to go in the marketplace. And so that's uh, the best practice. I would say that's really the best practice. Uh, and again, if our you know listeners uh, are curious, that's, that's quite a lot. Uh, just you just uh, uh, search on the internet for cloud center of excellence. There, is a, there are a number of examples, but right now, I think uh, that's actually what you need to look for is having an agreed upon company strategy and a way to really, uh, you know, have an organized way of, of gathering, you know, cloud needs across the organization and having a common way of going about it, right? Uh, missing doing this will, will fundamentally fragment what you're doing in a pretty dramatic way, which is in a large corporation could be a pretty big disaster, to be honest, to then, to then sort out. Pete, I've been uh, hogging the conversation. I'm sure you have questions. Oh, that's okay. okay. No, just, I mean, I, I agree with everything that Fabio was saying. I mean, to me, that Cloud Center of Excellence solves the cultural problem that you tend to have between IT and line of business developers. Because, I mean, it used to be, I mean, I've been doing this long enough that it, it, it used to be the only companies that had line of business developers were ISVs, right? It was it was SAP or Microsoft or somebody like that. And anybody else that had developers, they sat in IT. Well, IT is a cost center and line of business are revenue producers. And because of that, they think of money very differently. Part of my talk in Barcelona I talked about how to a line of business person, there's no such thing as shadow IT. It's just work. Just like to an IT person, there's no such thing as serverless because, of course, there are servers there that someone has to manage. And, and these two groups of people, much of the conflict between the two of them boils down to the IT person is on a fixed budget and therefore is very interested in cost reduction and efficiency, whereas the line of business person is interested in innovation speed and time to market and and revenue regardless of you know the things that IT is worried about. So where they meet in the middle is is this idea of this cloud center of excellence that Fabio was talking about that you need to kind of come together and understand what the other group is going through and what their concerns are as opposed to pointing fingers at each other and you know slinging insults over the wall kind of thing that that tends to be why these two groups of people don't get wrong it's it comes entirely down to what they're funded, how they're funded, and how what what their KPIs are. They 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 don't necessarily align. And places like these cloud centers of excellence can can help make that alignment happen more smoothly. And it's very interesting because you know, in spite of all this technology, in the end, it boils down to really um, to really you know human connections. You need to understand you know how the other guy is thinking and why he's thinking like that, and fundamentally having a common goal. If you're an IT guy right now, uh, let me talk about classical IT. You cannot think of, in order to deliver, you know, a, a development environment to a developer to open like five travel tickets uh, yeah. to install a server and give an IP address to that, and then put in an ACL entry into the firewall. That that world has to go. 
right? It's got to be automated and possibly even self-service uh, kind of automated. But, you know, you can only understand if you speak with your developer and line of business and kind of they'll tell you, hey, if we don't launch the service in three months, our competitors is going to do the same. And we're going to be, of course, left behind in the marketplace. You have to, you have to, you know, kind of get together with the business. And let's be honest, we've been talking about things like Shadow IT, Stealth IT, whatever. This is just people in the business that are trying to do their job, right? And of course, if they don't find collaboration in the, in the IT organization, uh, they're gonna go, they're gonna go and bypass you, right? Uh, swiping. They've got card. index cards, right? Exactly, but there's a reason for that. So I don't, I, I've never seen anything shadowing this kind of behaviors, to be honest with you. Most of the time, it's honest people. Uh, they're trying to strike their goals, their business goals. Right, right. I, I find myself making very different decisions when I have clear KPIs than when I don't. And when the time's running out on those, I'll do a lot of things to get those done. And I'm not a developer, and so I don't have to worry about accessing public cloud, but I can see where it would be very tempting. So gentlemen, we are we are over time at this point. Is there any ground we haven't covered that we ought to be covering either Fabio or Pete before we wrap up today? Um, I'm pretty happy. I just, I, I keep forgetting that I owe Fabio an apology because Fabio, when I saw you on Monday, I, I had had about four hours of sleep in the last 48 and I had to ask you, you know, bless you. I had to ask you to repeat your sentence three times before I understood what you said because my brain was just not operating correctly. Yeah, I, I had the impression that you were in a kind of beat me up, Scotty, uh, kind of mode. Yeah. Well, <laughs> coming from another other universe. <laughs> as as frequent listeners know, and as the two of you know, because you've seen me in person, I go six six two sixty, and a person my size in a coach seat on an eight hour flight from JFK to Barcelona does not get a lot of sleep. Let's just put it. Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> no problem. Oh, I'm glad you're back safe and sound. It is good to podcast with you again, my friend. Me too. Fabio, thank you for joining us and helping explain this this concept today. I think it's important. I think it's going to be relevant to a lot of our listeners. And uh, I certainly learned some things, and I hope they did too. Thank you so much, Charlie. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Goodbye, Pete. Come in, uh, give those chihuahuas a pat on the head because they did a fine, fine job today of staying oh, right. nice and quiet. I know, nice. I'm very impressed with them. <laughs>